it's been said um, that if you know the things in, in life that are negotiable and those things that are absolutely essential, then you have a great advantage. How true, really, when you think about it, right? I mean, it only seems logical. I mean, all decisions, you know, that you or I make, they're, they're, they're simplified once you know what is most important. Sir James Berry, um, the, the author of Peter Pan, he once claimed, uh, he said that charm is the essential thing. If you have it, you don't need anything else. And if you don't have it, it doesn't matter what else that you have. <laughs> I don't think he was exactly right on charm being the most essential thing. I think there's something else. As we move into 2022, wouldn't it be a great advantage to you and I as Christ followers if we could discover um, that which is absolutely essential for Christ to be formed in each one of us? Um, that if we have it, it doesn't matter what else we have, and if we don't have it, <laughs> it doesn't matter what we do have. Now, I think we discover the answer to that question, that what is most essential. I think we can discover the answer to that in the first eight verses of John chapter 15. So I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15 this morning. Gospel of John chapter 15. Follow along, I, I read the first eight verses here. It says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. <laughs> um, now, we have to understand, this is the final I am saying from the book of John. There's, there's uh, seven of them. The other six sayings focus on uh, Jesus as the life giver. And they included um, with them an invitation to come to him and to believe in him. But this one is uh, different. Now Jesus here is speaking to those who have already come to him. And so his challenge is um, to them as Christ followers. And his challenge is to us as Christ followers. And his challenge is for us to abide in him. You understand, Jesus here has given us a, a, a metaphor, right? The Father is the gardener, and Jesus is the true vine, and you and I are branches. We're the, we're the branches, those of us who are Jesus' disciples. 
And the main point, I mean, I don't think you missed it. <laughs> main point's pretty clear. The intimate union of believers with Jesus is essential in order for a believer to bear fruit. I mean, one thing that is absolutely essential for us to do is that we must abide in Christ. If we don't, it doesn't matter what else we do. So then we need to ask some questions. We need to ask a question, what happens to a person who abides in Christ? I mean, if, if I really live in him and stay connected to him, what will he do to and through and for me? I'm going to suggest to you that there's three grace gifts that flow directly out of this passage. Three grace gifts that flow from abiding in Christ. The first grace gift that comes from abiding in Christ is growth, spiritual growth. Look with me at verse 2. Look what he says here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Obviously, the goal here that Jesus is talking about is fruit, right? So we need to say, well, what's the fruit? See, when Jesus talks about fruit, he's talking about our becoming more like him. God promises to transform you from being in your own image into the image of Christ. That's the fruit, <laughs> It's Christ being formed in us. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, the Apostle Paul, who's pouring out his heart to those believers there in that church of Galatia, say, my little children from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth <laughs> until Christ is formed in you. And a few verses later in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he tells us what Christ being formed in us, what, what that will look like. He says it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Nine qualities gathered together as, as one cluster, just like a, a grapevine, Bearing fruit, then, is about, see, developing that inner quality of Christ, the character of Christ in our lives. Have you ever noticed how people who've been married for a long time, um, they get so they begin to look like each other? <laughs> um, I mean, they start having the same kind of facial expressions and, and, and verbal expressions. And, and they start actually having the same kind of, uh, you know, physical characteristics oftentimes. <laughs> have you considered why that happens? Well, it's because people have abided with one another. <laughs> and it's because of that they begin to look like one another. It's the same way with abiding with Christ. We become more Christ-like as we abide in him. We begin to take on the characteristics, the inner qualities of Christ as we live in him, stay connected to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. We all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
In other words, we are developing Christ's likeness in us. He's working in us, and it's a process. It's not a, 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 a all-at-once type of thing that happens in our life. It doesn't just happen by, by magic. Uh, we're being changed from one degree of glory to another, and it's a, it's a process, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit that God's looking for. And that fruit can only be produced in a life of those believers who abide in Christ. Why? Well, he tells us there in verse 2. Because to have Christ formed in us, listen to this, pruning is required. <laughs> in our backyard here in, in South Minneapolis, uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not... I'm not boasting. I think it's true. I think we have the biggest Dutch elm tree on the block, if not on uh, several blocks in our backyard. Um, I mean, it's huge. Um, last thing we want to do is lose it. <laughs> um, this past summer, we had a large um, branch fall during a windstorm, uh, barely missing our garage, um, barely missing our neighbor's fence. I mean, just coming feet away from crushing our neighbor's fence. Um, barely missing the, the, our, our porch, the roof of our porch, or any vehicles that are in the driveway. I mean, it fell in the perfect spot. I think God's hand just kind of guided it right there, um, it, it seemed like to me. I, I mean, after I saw that fall, I sighed a huge sigh of relief. I praised God, and then I called a tree trimming company. Uh, <laughs> the uh, tree trimming company, they, they, they said, well... They don't trim trees in the summer. They, they do that only in the, in the winter months. So sure enough, uh, a week before Christmas, they, they came out this past Christmas. Um, they brought out some heavy equipment into our driveway, and they went up into that, that big old huge Dutch elm tree, trimming it up and cutting away dead branches and, and, and cutting back on other branches. Two acts that will enable that tree to continue to grow and continue to be healthy. In the same way, Jesus identifies two types of actions here that the gardener, the father, does. He identifies those branches that are unfruitful, and he cuts them off, and he, and he takes them away. And he also prunes, or he cuts back uh, the fruitful branches so that they might produce more fruit. This past summer, um, Becky and I uh, had an opportunity. We were out in Northern California, and we, we drove around in Northern California there. And we, <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful. I had never been in that part of the country, and to see all of those vineyards, and they were just, the vines were just full of grapes. I mean, just like, you, you know, you'd imagine, just like the movies always show. I mean, it, it was there. It was true. I thought, man, how did I get that so full and ripe grapes. And since I'm not a gardener, I decided I needed to look it all up. And so I did a little research this past uh, couple of weeks, and I read up on how they make those vineyards so productive. Evidently, in the winter months, the, the vine keepers, they do two things. First, they go through the vineyard, and they cut out what they call those sucker shoots um, from the vines. It's, it's, the sucker shoots are those branches that will never bear fruit. And if they're allowed to remain there, 
these shoots will actually sap the life uh, of the vine and greatly reduce the, the quality and quantity of the, the fruit that that vine will bear. So they totally remove those fruitless branches. That's the first act. The second act that a vine keeper will do is they will prune the branches that are healthy in order to free, uh, in order to, uh, for that branch to be able to bear more fruit. Um, now, I got to tell you, uh, when they told me the type of branches that they would have to cut back, I mean, to me and my uninitiated eye, I mean, that pruning, I got to tell you, it looks wasteful. <laughs> Throwing back all these branches that are full of, of grapes and just, and just toss them away. It looks cruel and wasteful. Why do they do it? Well, they, they do it as a way to enable growing healthy, delicious fruit to, to be produced. After pruning, see, the vine will come back even more fruitful. Jesus says, hey, the same thing is true in the Christian life. Every Christian needs to go through some pruning. The Father will drastically cut back our lives in a cleansing process. So you say, well, what's involved in pruning? <laughs> Pain, hard circumstances, suffering, trials. Listen, I know this is not easy to hear, but pruning always hurts, friends. <laughs> when we go through hard times, we instinctively assume, I mean, anyway, I do, it seems like I instinctively assume that God is punishing me or that, that God is rejecting me. <laughs> but see, Jesus tells us here that the painful pruning process, that that's not punishment, not abandonment. No, it's God's tender gift of loving care. Sometimes the pain of pruning comes because of our sins. Other times, it comes because um, we're bearing good fruit, but the Father wants us to bear even more and better fruit. <laughs> Whatever the reason is for his pruning, our natural selves, right? It always wants to, our natural selves want to escape it. Um, I mean, no one naturally wants the knife, <laughs> Nobody chooses it. But let me remind you that the gardener's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. It's a promise. His pruning, yes, may cause us pain, but I got to tell you, it will never cause us harm. So how do we know when God is pruning us? Well, my simple answer is, we know God has pruned us when we become more reliant on the vine for our life and our strength. The great irony is that sometimes it's the fruitful branches that feel the most frail. In the winter of drastic pruning, we may not feel that we are fruitful at all, but if we draw more deeply from the life-giving vine in those times of great need, we can be assured that the master gardener, what he's doing is he's pruning us. We can be assured that the vine will produce a greater harvest of fruit. 
So here's a, a question this morning. How do you respond in times of difficulty, in those times of, of suffering, in those times of disappointment? Do you draw closer to the vine in humble dependence and in prayer? Or do you draw, or do you pull away from him in, in bitter pride? When we draw near to him, our pain becomes pruning. And listen, it yields a harvest of righteousness. If we want to have Christ formed in us, I got to tell you, we must abide in him. It's essential. A second grace gift that comes from abiding in Christ is effectiveness. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. Look what he says here. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> I want you to notice here, the um, two-part command that Jesus gives us, right? Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Two parts. The first command is abide in me. That's an active voice. Um, it's something that you and I are expected to do. Abide in Christ. The second command is and I in you. That, that's in the passive voice. He's saying let me abide in you. This is not something, listen, that we can initiate, but something we can expect to happen and, and something we can trust God for. It takes both of those actions to be a productive Christian. One alone, it's not enough. Uh, let me illustrate it by taking you to sailing. Think about sailing for just a moment. You can hoist the sails, right? And you can you know, have your hand on the rudder and you can steer with the uh, rudder. But listen, if there's no wind, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're stuck. On the other hand, um, you know, um, if, the, if the wind is blowing, and, and the sail is not up, um, the boat is, is staying put as well. <laughs> but listen, if the sail is up and the wind is blowing, both those things are happening, amazing things take place, right? It takes both the sail and the wind to skim across that lake. One alone will never do it. When Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, he's telling us it takes both our abiding and our trusting in his abiding to be effective. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus doesn't mean that um, we're unable to function. I mean, we can do a lot of things apart from the vine, right? I mean, we can have a career, uh, we can raise families, uh, we can preach a sermon, um, you know, we can make billions of dollars, we can climb Everest, we can put a man on the moon, <laughs> and we can do all sorts of things in our own capacity. And they can even go very well, those things. So why did Jesus say, apart from me, you can do nothing? Because... There is one essential thing that we can't do on our own apart from Christ. That is, you can't produce fruit apart from Christ. We cannot be effective. Francis Chan 
He told a story in one of his sermons about a missionary coming to his church uh, uh, one time. This missionary told a beautiful story about sharing the gospel with uh, a remote tribe in Papua New Guinea. At the end of the story, this missionary said, I should really give credit to Vaughn, my former youth pastor who loved me and inspired me to live for Christ and share the gospel with others. Then Chan said, the next week, another guy came to our church and he challenged us to start sponsoring kids living in poverty. The second speaker also concluded by saying, I'm involved in this ministry because of my youth pastor, a guy named Vaughn. I found out those guys were from the same youth group. The next week, another speaker named Dan told us about his ministry at a rescue mission in the inner city of L.A. After Dan's talk, I casually mentioned, it was, you know, Dan, it was so weird. Last two weeks, both of our speakers mentioned how much impact their youth pastor, Vaughn, had on them. Dan looked surprised, and, and then he told me, I know Vaughn. He's a pastor in San Diego now, now and, and he takes people in the dumps of Tijuana where kids are picking through garbage. I was just with Vaughn in, in, in Tijuana. We would walk in the city, and these kids would run up to him, and he would show some such deep love and affection for them. He'd hug them and give them gifts and have food for them. He'd figure out how to get them some showers. And Francis, it was eerie. The whole time I was, I was walking with Vaughn, I kept thinking, listen, if Jesus were on earth, I think this is what it would feel like to walk with him. He just loved people everywhere. He ran. He, he would tell them about God. People were just drawn to his love and his affection. And, and, then, and then Dan said, the day I spent with Vaughn was the closest thing I've ever experienced to walking with Jesus. Francis Chan, in the sermon, he followed this up by saying, hearing this made me think, would anyone in their right mind say that about me? Would anyone say that about you? As I thought about all this, I prayed, Lord, that's what I want. I don't want to be the best speaker in the world. That doesn't matter. I don't want to be the most intelligent person on the planet. That's not what I want to be known for. No, I don't want to be known for someone saying, wow, he's a lot like Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Christ in a way that others see and want to know him? then abide in Christ. And don't depend on any special technique. <laughs> Do you want to be an effective, um, productive, I don't know, Sunday school teacher? They don't just get trained. No, go to the master teacher and abide with him. Do you want to be a successful parent? Well, listen, don't just read another book on parenting. Go abide with the one who created your children. Effectiveness is a grace gift of abiding in Christ. Let me give you a third grace gift from abiding in Christ. It's an empowered prayer life. Look with me at verse 7. He says here, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, as we abide, or as we pray, we abide. And as we abide, we pray more and more deeply. Do you want to grow in your prayer life? <laughs> Jesus says, well, then abide in me. Mark Twain's Huck Finn made a classic statement when he says, 
Mrs. Watson told me I could get anything that I wanted by praying for it. She said, if I go in my closet and pray, well, I'd get it. I needed some fish hooks one time. So I went in the closet, shut the door, and I prayed. But it weren't so. And I got to thinking about it. And I said, ah, there's nothing to it. <laughs> we laugh a little bit about Huck Finn's response. But I got to tell you, I think a lot of Christians have come to that same conclusion. They're simply not as honest as <laughs> Huck Finn. See, oftentimes people will spiritualize their disappointment with God's silence. And they'll say, well, you know, in this particular situation, it was not part of the ultimate will of the sovereign God to grant my prayer. And that might be true sometimes. But I got to tell you, many times it's simply an excuse for people who aren't willing to pay the price for the kind of power that they need in prayer. You get that power by abiding in Christ. And I want you to notice here that Jesus, in this verse, verse 7, he substitutes his abiding in us with his words abiding in us. Do you see this? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Um, so the major way that we allow Christ to abide in us is by abiding in his word, by knowing his word, by trusting his word. See, when we live in harmony with Jesus and staying connected to him, we will find our prayers, I got to tell you, controlled by his word. And such prayers will be heard and answered and will bring glory to God. Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase and message, translates Jesus' words in verse 7 this way. He says, if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. See, when we abide in Christ, friends, our prayer life will be empowered. It will be changed forever. Of course, all of this leads us when one last major question, that's simply this. If abiding in Christ is the one absolutely essential thing that we must do as Christ followers, the question is, how do we do it? What do we mean by abiding? One possible translation of abide is to, uh, means to set up camp, or it means to take up residence, or to stay put. I like the translation, the idea of to stay connected. So abiding is about deciding where you belong and where you will stay. This means in order to abide, you first have to begin by accepting Christ as your Savior. Understand, the Gospel of John was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing that we might have life in his name. So the starting point for abiding is believing God's word, embracing the message that God, Jesus is, is God's true vine... And admitting there's no pleasing God apart from Christ. Perhaps, listen, you've never confessed that you are nothing apart from Christ. Perhaps you've never embraced Jesus as the only source of life and, and fruit. I want to tell you this morning, then bind yourself to the true vine. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, friends. He's the only way, the only truth the only life.
But I got to admit, most of us here are probably have um, already begun to abide. Most of you are listening online. You, you've probably already begun to abide. You've already come to uh, Jesus in faith, believing that God's provision for life, uh, believing in God's provision of life for us. And yet, I got to ask, how often, how desperately do we seek his strength and his life and, 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 and the help from the vine that we need? In the day-to-day, there is a continual need to abide and stay connected to the vine. The truth is, I got to tell you, it's nonsense to begin the Christian life by putting all your trust in Jesus Christ and then try to live the Christian life on your own. Even after we become Christians, we can still do nothing apart from him. Jesus, see, this next year and beyond, he's inviting us to drink deeply of Christ, to depend more fully on him. Jesus is inviting us to stay connected to the vine so that he might be formed in you. This year of 2022, our theme here at First Free is Christ formed in us. And our goal is that each person might make a commitment to see the fruit of Christ's character grow in your life. So let me ask you, how is Christ being formed in you? What are you doing to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and, and shape you from within? Are you doing the one essential thing that Jesus tells us that we must do that is stay connected to the vine? Are you abiding in Christ in such a way that you are putty in Christ's hand? Because if you are, when you do, Christ will press the shape of his own face into the clay of your soul. George Buttrick, Harvard professor and pastor at Harvard Memorial Church, once told his seminar students, there are some things that you ought not to unload on a congregation for a while. There are some things you can't tell people until you've been with them for a year. There are other things you can't say to them until you've been with them five years. And gentlemen, there are some things you can't say to a congregation until you've been with them 10 years, and they know that you love them. (laughs) Friends, loved ones, it's the same with Christ. You have to be with him for a while before he can say some things to you. That's why abiding as Christ is so essential. So important. Because the longer you dwell in him, the more you become like him. Before I close in prayer this morning, as the worship team comes up here on the platform to prepare us for um, closing with the closing song, I want to invite you just to take some time before we rush out of here, head down to our fellowship time. I invite you to take some time and simply ask, what is God saying to you this morning? What do you need to do in order, as you move into this next year, in order to abide more in Christ? How is Christ 
being formed in you. Take a few minutes and just listen to God in the silence of this moment. Father God, you are the master gardener. Jesus, you are the true vine. Might your Holy Spirit move through us, through our lives, giving, <sighs> being the sap <laughs> that runs through the branches. Forgive us of those times that we have become disconnected from you and attempted to accomplish things on our own. Might we abide in you more and more this next year. And might your likeness, might your likeness be more and more apparent in us to those around us. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, your son, the true vine. Amen.